Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to another episode of How Bitches Are Made. I'm your host, Rachel Melvin. I want to thank you all, as always, for joining us for another new story this week. And I also want to welcome any new listeners. If you are new to this podcast, you can get familiar with the concept of How Bitches Are Made by listening to our introductory mini-sode. But if you are just here for the tea, so to speak, then get ready, because we're about to sip. Here's this week's story. The following is a true story, as sad as that is for me to admit. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and the anything but. Chapter 15, Under the Microscope. Betty White once famously said, Why do people say, grow some balls? Balls are weak and sensitive. If you want to be tough, they should say, grow a vagina. Those things can really take a pounding. Perhaps no one understands this more than a female gynecologist. I was 23 when I found mine, using a precious and useful skill I'd developed in the second grade, context clues. With nothing more to go off of than a name, I sifted through my network's list of providers, in search of someone trustworthy enough to flash. I could only hope my adroitness for picking medical professionals was better than what I used to select mates. Dean Goldman. Growing up, the only doctors I'd seen all had a suffix on their surname of this origin, including my cousin, a dentist I adored, whose care and voice alone could deliver the same results as morphine without ever having to administer it. Ugh. God, I miss him. He was married to my grandmother's niece, a proud Italian who emphatically insisted she would never see a doctor who was female. So, you see... Everyone has solid, dependable, totally rational research skills. Anyhow, when I came across the name Dr. Sarah Solomon, I was sure both me and my vagina would be in excellent hands. Not only did she fall in line with what felt familiar and safe to me, she was an expert in anatomy that was familiar to her own anatomy as well. And unlike my cousin, who had yet to escape the 50s, I was a millennial, way more comfortable with the idea of a woman doctor going down on me than I was a man. Not surprisingly, a lot of other females in Los Angeles were, too. Dr. Solomon's appointments were being scheduled two months out, a fact I chose not to get discouraged by, but rather see as an affirmation that my detective skills were as sharp as ever. This lady was in demand, and I couldn't wait to find out why. I left my Burbank apartment at 6.30 in the morning, leaving plenty of time to make it to her Tarzana office in time for my 7.30 appointment. That's when I discovered a whole other side of Los Angeles, a side outside of the entertainment profession, whose business summoned them to the freeway before 10 a.m. for their commutes. When I arrived at her office just five minutes late, I was incredibly apologetic for her icy, cold receptionists who, much to my shock and horror, sent me home. That is, of course, after they'd lectured me on the importance of respecting the doctor's schedule and time. I had no idea why they were so unforgiving, but as I'd soon come to learn, people in the business of fertility are very time-sensitive. For my second appointment, scheduled nearly another month later, I made sure to arrive 10 minutes early, and after waiting 40, was sent home again. I was convinced this was some sort of passive-aggressive revenge aimed at teaching me a lesson, but as it turns out, Doctors have more important things to do with their time and energy, like deliver people's babies when they go into labor unexpectedly. Would you like to reschedule for another day? 
What I wanted to do was find out whether or not that baby was going to receive the same lecture I did. Of course, it was not. And they wonder why kids today are so entitled. Just when the thought of driving another hour to go a mere eight miles for the third time was about to make me reconsider doctors, something occurred to me that made me re-examine the situation entirely. I had suddenly recalled an episode of Sex in the City, where Charlotte tries to convert to Judaism but gets turned away three times before they take her seriously. Perhaps Dr. Solomon's faith had parlayed itself into an effective way of weeding out the good patients from the bad. The ones persistent enough to keep returning proved they were just as committed to maintaining the health of their uteri as she was. So I decided to give it the old Jewish try. On the day of my third appointment, I arrived right on time. I signed in, and before my ass could so much as tease the chair in the waiting room... Could I get a copy of your insurance cards, please, Rachel? I couldn't believe it. I'd never made it this far. Was it really happening? I took the cards out of my wallet as if I were flashing my ID to a bouncer at a hot nightclub, eagerly passing them across the counter for her to approve. Okay, I'm just going to make a copy of these, and then Kendall's going to take you back for your urine sample. Most people fear the urine sample. Will it say they're pregnant? Will it show they've taken drugs? Will it show they have an STD or an infection? How will any of that affect their lives moving forward? None of these concerns cross my mind. In fact, at the time, I wasn't even sure what they needed a urine sample for. And fake it till you make it had been drilled into my head enough times to know I certainly wasn't going to give up my naivety and ask. I was 23, after all. I should know why a urine sample is needed, and I should absolutely know how the fuck to give one. <laughs> Only I did not. And the proper way to give one was all I could think about. I stood in the single-stall bathroom, clutching an empty cup in one hand and an alcohol wipe and black magic marker in the other. What the fuck was I supposed to do with any of this? I looked around the room for some sort of instruction or guidance, but apparently this was something I should have known how to do by now. Kind of like knowing how to insert a tampon or which end of the pad is the front and which is the back by the time you're 14. Some of us didn't grow up with parents who taught us. Some of us are late bloomers with families that pretend certain things don't exist, like unresolved issues and reproductive organs. Just like all the good stories you hear, I did everything completely wrong. I opened the cup and desperately tried to follow the inconsistent stream of urine that flowed from my urethra, scrambling to catch it whenever the current was strong enough to manhandle my labia and force it to change directions. Then I used the alcohol wipe to clean off my soaked hands and wipe up beads of liquid that adorned the outside of the cup. Thankfully, I saw a small cabinet on the wall marked Samples Here and knew to set mine inside, otherwise I would have flashed that puppy around the waiting room. I used the marker to scribble my name down on the soaked label to separate it from the others, as though peeing on the outside of it hadn't made it my territory enough. After Kendall checked my height and weight, she took my blood pressure and informed me of the results, as if I understood anything about what number should be over what. She then led me into an exam room and instructed me to swap my street clothes for a thin and flattering hospital gown laying on top of the fresh piece of butcher paper that lanned the exam table. Because that's just what a woman wants to feel like. A piece of meat. Just make sure the opening of the gown is in the front, not the back. And just read this, and she'll be in with you shortly. She handed me a brochure that had been laminated before ducking out. I glanced at the card, flipping it over to survey the amount of reading involved before ultimately discarding it on the exam table beside me. I looked around the room, taking in the dark walnut cabinets and overhead fluorescent lighting that reminded me of our kitchen growing up in the 80s. There was a long yellow Formica countertop underneath wall-to-wall -wall windows that overlooked the hospital parking lot below, on top of which an assortment of unfriendly-looking medical instruments lay perfectly in line with one another. A small stool sat in front of the cabinets underneath, in its place between two stirrups that jetted out from the end of the exam table. Unsure of how long I had before the doctor came knocking, and frankly anxious about upsetting this office's schedule again, I pushed through the saloon-style doors that designated a changing area and began disrobing. When I came back out, I climbed on top of the exam table, staring at the stirrups below with disdain. Refusing them, I tucked one leg underneath the other and shimmied my cold feet underneath my butt for warmth. There I lay, staring up at the ceiling with my hands pressed firmly together on my chest. I felt like I was in a coffin, though a large portion of that was due to the temperature of the room. 
Why are exam rooms notoriously cold? My extremities were blue as my body worked hard to conserve warmth and store it near my chest and core. You think that if they were going to be asking someone to get naked so they can inspect their body, the least they could do is make sure that person is comfortable in every other capacity. I tucked my hands underneath my armpits, an homage to Mary Catherine Gallagher, and stared up at the ceiling in anticipation. The only thing I could focus on was how much I didn't want to be there, and who would? No one voluntarily drops their pants for strangers, unless the opportunity to get off is on the table. Or, you know, if the price is right. Though arguably a rookie and early in its career, I felt my vagina was already way more trouble than it was worth. First, there was my period, then my virginity, now this embarrassing nonsense. I'd been told this is what adult females did once a year to make sure they didn't have lumps in their chests or weird things growing on places they often ignore. But honestly, it felt a bit like owning another vehicle I was forced to have to bring in for routine maintenance. I wasn't entirely sure it needed so much attention and that these yearly appointments were just manufacturer recommendations that played on a consumer's ignorant fears and cost them more money. Suffice it to say, I had my 20-something suspicions. Regardless, there I was, looking for shapes in the holes of the white particle board ceiling while patiently waiting for Dr. Solomon to inspect my intimate parts under a microscope. Hi there, Rachel. I'm Dr. Sarah Solomon. A woman wearing pink scrubs and a blue medical hat entered the room from behind me and extended her hand out with a smile. She was young, polished, professional, and had enough warmth to make up for the thermostat the room lacked. What brings you in today? She took a seat on the stool and began flipping through my chart, browsing my medical history. I'm just making sure everything looks okay. You're here for your annual. Great. Is this your first? What gave it away? Nothing at all. Just a lucky guess. She closed my chart and set it on the countertop behind her. I appreciated how acutely aware she was of the awkwardness surrounding her profession, and how she seemed to meet it with a casualness that conveyed remarkable sensitivity to her younger patients specifically. Okay, I'm going to start first by asking you to lay back for me. Wonderful. Now I'm going to open your gown here, and I'm just checking for any lumps around your breast. And this is something you can do on your own at home as well. You just want to move your fingers around the breast in a circular motion like this. There are few words in the English language that bother me more than the word breast. They are panties and pussy. Perhaps not so curiously, all centered around femininity. Interesting. We're just looking for anything that might feel strange or unusual. Nope, all feels great. Go ahead and, and pull your gown back up. I know it's cold in here. You can always turn on the heaters if you're ever uncomfortable. I followed her hand to where she gestured toward a small space heater sitting on top of the countertop in the far corner of the room. Like most things that day... I had completely missed it. Okay, go ahead, slide the all the way down to the bottom of the table here for me. I reluctantly slid my butt down toward where I thought she'd padded on the exam table and begrudgingly lifted my heels into the stirrups. She tinkered with the medical instruments on the counter, collecting the ones she needed. So what do you do, Rachel? I'm an actress. An actress? That's a fun job. Would I have seen you in anything? Do you watch daytime? can't say that I get to in my profession, but that's wonderful for you. She walked back toward me, holding torturous-looking tools in her medically-gloved hands, then set them down on a metal tray beside her before taking a seat on the stool and rolling it up into position at the foot of the table. You can come down just a little further. She reached for a nearby light and adjusted it accordingly as I lowered myself down toward her. I felt like I was bringing a ship into port. A little further. You want your bum to hit the edge of the table here. Perfect. Right there. Okay. And go ahead and drop your knees for me. I'd been clutching them together as though they'd been superglued. I took a deep breath, silent enough for her to not notice, and pushed them apart, slightly. I know it's awkward, but you don't need to be shy. Just relax your thighs and let gravity do its thing. The more space I have down here, the better. That was all it took to put me in the same headspace I often find myself with men in her same position. What the hell did that mean? The more space she had, the better? Do I smell? Does she need room to air it out so she can breathe? Does it look okay? Is she grossed out by me? Am I not groomed to her liking? 
Was she having a pleasant or unpleasant experience? There's nothing quite like the voice in your head, especially when it comes to concerns of the vagina. Okay, Rachel, I'm going to insert this, and then you're going to feel a small pinch. I felt her insert something, and then immediately felt like I was being cranked open with a vice. You doing okay? I didn't want to embarrass the men of my past by admitting I hadn't been stretched that wide. Yeah. Good girl. Almost there. Though it may have been my first annual, the experience did feel vaguely familiar. The anxiety, the unknown activity, the pinching, the alert she was almost finished, even the narration in some cases. Frankly, the only thing that was a bit of a surprise was her checking in on my well-being. Okay, now I'm just going to take a quick swipe. There, all done. You can close your legs. I sat up to see her pull an oversized Q-tip out from underneath my legs and place it into a long tube from the silver tray beside her. She scribbled with marker on the side of it before setting it back down beside her. Everything looks good to me from my end, but we're going to send this over to the lab, make sure you're good and healthy. You have any questions for me? Nope. I was determined to get out of there as fast as possible. And just when I thought the hard part was over and that I was in the clear... Okay, I have a couple. Are you sexually active? Yes. And how many partners have you had? Two. Do you have a current partner? Sort of. Sort of. Okay. Do you use protection? Sometimes. Sometimes. Why not always? I'm allergic to latex. Okay, good to know. I'll notate that in your chart so I can be sure to switch out my gloves before our next exam. In the meantime, I can recommend some excellent latex-free condoms, but a latex allergy is not an excuse to not wear condoms, young lady. Have you ever been tested for STDs? No. Okay. Well, I'm also going to recommend you get some blood work done. I doubt you have anything, but I do think it would be beneficial for us to check just to be sure, especially if you haven't been using protection. And did you read the placard Kendall gave you? Yes. Good. Then you're familiar with HPV and how it's responsible for 80% of cervical cancer cases we see. I wasn't, because I didn't read it. But I was reading the room. And although she was perfectly professional, perfectly within reason, and perfectly kind, I was pretty fucking sure that Dr. Solomon thought I was a pretty big, stupid slut. For the next five years, Dr. Solomon's biggest concerns for me as her patient centered around my safety practices when it came to sex, which was understandable seeing I was a young 20-something actor in Los Angeles and, well, she had sons my age living in the metropolitan area. My biggest concerns, on the other hand, were a lot more practical. Like what birth control might make my boobs look bigger, what we could talk about to make her fingering my cervix less awkward, and of course, how to convince her I wasn't as slutty as I felt I sounded. Every time I answered her routine question of was I still having sex, as if my experiences in Hollywood had finally turned me toward the Covenant? And if so, was it with the same person? I felt I needed to make some closing argument to justify my perfectly normal lifestyle and justifiable spending habits. That is, of course, until the farmer. He called me months after I'd ended things in a panic, accusing me of having given him an STD. I scheduled an appointment with Dr. Solomon right away showing up to her office like a puppy with its tail between her legs. But hey, I guess she was just relieved it wasn't another penis. I tried to have sex with him responsibly, but he stuck it in me before I could stick one on him. I was pissed when he did it. I wanted her to know that I had come leaps and bounds from our first appointment years earlier, and that she'd done her job making me a better, more responsible 20-something. Despite how it looked and sounded. You have every right to have been upset. But, well, Rachel, let me just tell you something. Even if this man did have something, there's no way of knowing who it came from because the thing is, men are carriers. They could think they have something or not have something. They could have something that's dormant and not know it, and they won't know it unless they show signs. But men rarely show signs, so how would they know if they have something then, right? They often go on passing whatever along freely without ever being the wiser. But women, you know, we're the receivers. We're the ones taking things in. We see signs because we are the receptacles, right? Uh, 
That's why it's impossible to tell who gives what to who and why it's really, really important for us to get tested. I could never tell from the way she spoke or how she addressed things whether or not she was disappointed in me. But for some reason, I had become focused on not letting that happen. So much so that I often found myself bending the truth or omitting facts in my stories to look better in her eyes and to avoid any potential judgment or humiliating lectures. Which is why I had Dr. Solomon believing the farmer was Kirk, the same steady boyfriend I'd been with for the last five years, instead of some random 25-year-old weirdo I'd hooked up with at a hippie camp in Humboldt County who wore Crocs with socks. By the way, the farmer's STD turned out to be an ingrown hair on his foreskin. Around the age of 29, Dr. Solomon's concerns for me as her patient began to turn away from safe sex practices and into something even more daunting. Well, at least for me. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I was lying on my back in the ever-always-inexplicably-freezing-cold exam room of her new office, where it was more bright, modern, and without space heaters. Wearing nothing but socks and a thin blue gown— I passed the time by calling bullshit on every life being presented to me on Instagram. Not wanting to be a cliché when she walked in, however, I traded being on my phone for the familiar game of Where's Waldo in the ceiling. At the time, I really was still with Kirk and couldn't wait to give Dr. Solomon the good news, that I was still having sex with the same person. I could only imagine how proud she'd be and for something that I didn't even have to lie about. Just as I found myself relishing in the fact I could avoid any judgment, illy perceived or otherwise, and forego yet another blood test proclaiming my promiscuity, she walked in. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Good to see you. I leaned back on my elbows, the thin one-ply paper rustling underneath me, and brought my ass cheeks down to the table's edge before lifting my heels safely inside the stirrups. By now, and frankly after too many visits of her telling me to bring my legs apart, I was a pro. No complaints. Well, that's good to hear. How's the acting? Good. You know, my sons and I saw Dumb and Dumber the other day. It was very cool to see you on the big screen. She rolled toward my open legs on her stool, grabbing hold of the nearby lamp and positioning it upon me like a spotlight. Quick little pinch. She slipped the infamous duckbill inside me and began to crank it open. I winced because, well, some things never change. When the exam was over, she scribbled something down in my chart before placing the folder underneath her arm and rising to exit the room. Any questions for me? Actually, yes. Let's hear it. Is it true that being on birth control for too long can affect your ability to get pregnant? No, absolutely not. That is a myth. Okay, cool. Do you know what will affect your ability to get pregnant, though? Your age. It was a sobering moment I didn't see coming, and frankly, one I wasn't ready for. Are you wanting children? I mean, maybe. So after the age of 25, the number of eggs a woman has starts to decrease and it becomes much more difficult to get pregnant. So if you aren't sure whether or not you want kids in your future now, that's okay. The good news is that the medical field is pretty amazing these days and women have options now that they didn't have before. If you'd like, I can have Kendall give you some literature on freezing your eggs. It's an incredible way to ensure you have every option available to you when you want it, if you do decide down the line that kids are something you want. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure I want kids. I know Kirk does. You've been with him a while now. How long has it been? Almost four years. I just don't know if I'm ready yet. I mean, we aren't even married. Ah, well, the one thing I can tell you is no one's ever ready for children, <laughs> even the ones who think they are. Any other questions? Nope. Okay. Then I'll see you next time, Rachel. In the meantime, you work on getting a ring on that finger. I left the office feeling like there was a ring around my neck. While it was true, 
I was rounding out one decade and making my way into another. I'd never given any thought to timetables. And why would I? I never had to. I worked in a profession where age was an illusion, existing only in castable ranges. L.A. didn't even have seasons, and it wasn't like I came from a family that focused on finding the one and settling down. I came from a family that encouraged ignoring men and focusing on getting ahead. Why else did she think I was succeeding as an actor and my sister as a lesbian? Never before had my uterus come under such fire. After all, I've never had gonorrhea. After years of employing a dependable goalie, a goalie delegated by Dr. Solomon herself, now she wanted me to put it all on ice? I couldn't help but wonder why every decade seemed to have come with worse news for women than the one before. First, it's slut-shaming that has you feeling insecure. Then it's a race against time that had me questioning all my life choices. What was next? Having my tiny tit squeezed between two metal plates for annual mammograms before setting off into the sunset on the permanent roller coaster of menopause? It was becoming increasingly curious to me why vaginal reputation seemed so inferior to its male counterpart. After all, testicles can barely handle so much as a tiny tug during foreplay, I mean the occasional physical, while vaginas, on the other hand, have to deal with not only the occasional mystery dick blindly poking their heads around inside them, they had to endure the endless emotional abuse that comes with simply existing. I drove home that afternoon even more upset than I'd been after Dr. Solomon referred to us as receptacles. But it wasn't what she said that had me so angry. It was because what she said was the truth. By nature, women take what they are given, and by nature, men dole it out. We bore the brunt of life simply because our vaginas bore life. The sad truth was, no matter how hard I tried to reprogram the effects of our upbringing, there was one other thing I was reminded of having learned in grade school. When it comes down to a battle of nature versus nurture, nature always wins. And Mother Nature is one mean motherfucker. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that story, because I really did. <laughs> There's nothing like going to the gynecologist, <laughs> am I right? And for those who get to forego the experience, otherwise known as men, I thought I would give you a little insight into how uncomfortable, embarrassing, and awkward the whole thing is. <laughs> um, and hopefully, if you're a female listening to this and you related to the story at all, you feel like you're not alone. Because let's be honest, we all feel this way to some degree whenever we go to this doctor. So um, let's talk about why I told you about my uh, trips to the vagina doctor. <laughs> I told this story because I really wanted to accentuate and articulate the pressures and the aggravations of the modern day woman just by being that a woman, having a uterus, having a vagina, having that anatomy <laughs> comes with a price and not a fun one. Funny fact, it's not even to the dollar of a man's price, which just makes it so much better. <laughs> Um, so the first thing that I want to point out about this kind of along those same lines is this cousin that I have who, if you didn't figure it out, is obviously much older than me. So I'm not sure if that makes her a cousin once, twice removed, first, second. I don't, I, I do know what a first cousin is, but, but anyway, she was my grandmother's niece. So hopefully that gives you some insight. Her antiquated beliefs of not even wanting to go to a female doctor. That's just another example of the male privileges versus a female's privileges. Because for me, I would never go to a doctor who doesn't have the anatomy that I need help with. Sure, you can study books and understand that anatomy. But there is obviously an edge to having that anatomy to which then I feel more comfortable going to a female because not only does she also know the same literature that a male would have studied, she lives with it every day, which she just knows how it feels. Like that's so weird to think about how you can go to a doctor who's male who doesn't have the anatomy you do and you're describing this pain or discomfort and he he knows what you're talking about to an extent, but he doesn't know what it feels like. That's so crazy for me to wrap my head around. But, you know, for some people, that's really important to them, I guess. Hopefully there are less of those people today. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was fucking interesting. <laughs> just like the whole experience of being a woman. 
Okay, so where I was ultimately at in my life at the time of this receptacle comment, which just makes me gag as much now as it did then, I think at this point in my life, I was at the end of my 20s, and I get it. It's true. I think there's a better word for receptacle, obviously. I would have said the receiver. (laughs) Um, I think this is a thing with people that are in the medical field. Sometimes they just speak very medically or very sterile in a way that they don't think about how that affects an average person. So being referred to as a receptacle obviously made me feel pretty fucking disgusting, which is comparable to how I imagine a receptacle feeling. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. It's not it's not great for a woman to see herself as, you know, a garbage can, <laughs> a dumpster fire. Anyhow, understandably, I felt really uncomfortable with that reference Mostly because it really made me just think about the inequality or injustices of a man versus a woman, meaning women are then the ones that have to be careful and responsible. In other words, what happens in this shared experience between two people, only one person in the party has to really think about the repercussions. In this case, we're talking specifically about STDs pregnancy like men don't really have to deal with that as directly as women do even going to the doctor is different for a woman it's it's much more invasive in this moment when my doctor used that term for some reason I just really saw in stark contrast the man's experience versus the woman's experience through no fault of anyone's other than just nature it's just fact Women have to deal with things that men don't based on their bodies. Men do too, but I think what I'm trying to really articulate here is that the repercussions or the the consequences really fall more on the woman. The heavy consequences do. Another thing I just want to point out and mention, particularly for our younger listeners, along the lines of the experience of going to a doctor being different for a man and a woman. It is much more invasive. I once dated a guy who told me he had just gotten tested and he was clean. He didn't have any STDs. But here's the truth. Except for the few diseases, viruses that you can be tested for, such as like HIV, for instance, men cannot be tested unless they have an outbreak, specifically with herpes, let's say, for instance. A girl, when you get your pap and you get your blood tests, you can see what you might have in your system. I'm sorry, not herpes, HPV, which is a strain of herpes, but HPV specifically girls can be tested for that and you'll know whether or not you have it. Men cannot be tested to see whether or not they have it. They're just carriers. So if a guy tells you, ladies listening, that they've been tested and they're clean, just know that they're, you know, it's untrue or it's only slightly true because there are some things you cannot be tested for. So if a guy says that to you, he's either lying or he's ignorant which is fine if he's ignorant, everyone has to learn through certain situations. But I want you to know that so that you don't just blindly trust somebody and be like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. And then sleep with them anyway without protection. A lot of men are liars. A lot of women are liars. Um, A lot of people are misinformed or uneducated entirely about sexual health practices. And ironically enough, Those are the people that tend to slut shame, which I just think is so fascinating. But I had many experiences with guys who knew less about sexual health and wellness than I did that would try to make me feel like I was a slut, just to make it very trite, because they really didn't have the knowledge. And when you don't have the knowledge about something, Obviously, things that you don't understand can be very scary. That's why it's important to know these things so that you're in control and you don't let fear take over and make you say or do things or ruin relationships that might otherwise be saved. And at this time in my life, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I didn't feel very slutty. I mean, I think it's very interesting when you, it's very confronting when you go to the gynecologist and you have that question like, how many people have you been with? Do you use protection? Do you not? It feels like these questions are set up for you to feel bad. And I'm not a dude. I don't know if these questions are also asked when they get their physical or when they see their male doctor, but 
I can tell you from my female perspective, it it makes me feel bad. It does. It just, it's not, um, it's not something that I would immediately assume guys are having to deal with, but I could be very ignorant and wrong on that. So I think at the time of my life when my doctor was, was you know, asking me these questions and referring me, referring to me as a receptacle, it just made me feel like a piece, just totally, ironically enough, very objectified and not human. I don't know. And that could have been a commentary just on how I saw myself through the choices that I was making, but it just didn't feel good. And that's all I knew at the time. So what I think is really fascinating about recalling the story, writing it, hearing it back, is that it was like every time I went to the gynecologist, so I think I started seeing her when I was 20. So over the course of 16 years, there's a lot of evolution in a person's life in that span of time. And, you know, there were like three significant moments when I could feel my life changing, going from an adolescent to a young adult, from a young adult to an adult. And there were always these moments of massive confrontation that took place in her office based on the questions that either she or I asked her or she asked me. And it was always these kind of like come to Jesus moments of realizing what it really meant to be a woman. So the first step in my early 20s was obviously, as I said, it was talking about feeling like I was a receptacle, like I was just this piece, this player in a man's life because I'm the one that's receiving and then I have to deal with all the fallout from this person I slept with that, you know, wasn't being as responsible as I was. And I have to be responsible because as a woman, I'm just prone to more. That sucked. Like that did not feel good. The second time I didn't feel good was when I came to her asking about birth control. So the reason I I even asked her that question is I had been on birth control for a really long time and I make light of it in the story about why I wanted to be on birth control, which is true. And I know young 20-somethings listening to this are probably on it for similar reasons. I did want bigger boobs. I did want my skin to be better. I, I did, you know, for me, I wanted to put on a couple more pounds or I felt like I needed to. So that those were all upsides of being on the pill in addition to, you know, the other things like making my cramps less painful, being more regular, all these other things. But after being on it for so many years, I started to realize that I didn't feel like myself. And this is not an isolated experience. I know many women feel the same way. My friends, other people listening right now, I'm sure this resonates with you. At a certain point, you just start to feel weird. You don't feel like you. And then you don't remember the last time you did feel like you. There was this time in my life, I was working in Atlanta. I was on a TV show. I wasn't, I basically was in a long distance relationship with Kirk at this point. So obviously I wasn't having sex. So I kind of was mulling over the idea of going off these pills, particularly because I felt really emotional and and I felt really depressed a lot of the days. And that could have been because I was away from home. I wasn't with my tribe, my pack in my in my own apartment. I had an apartment in Atlanta, of course, but it, it wasn't my apartment in LA where all my things were, my friends and my neighbors. So I didn't discount all of that, but there was something very intuitively where I just didn't feel right. And what I've come to understand is I was feeling a hormone imbalance. So I had decided that when I got back to Los Angeles, I was going to ask my gynecologist about different forms of birth control or going off of it altogether or seeing really where it started was seeing where the negative side effects of being on birth control lied. In this case, it was, hey, is that going to affect my ability to get pregnant in the future? Because I had heard that. But I think when I started to think about that, I started to think about all the other negative aspects of being on the pill, especially for so long, and consider how maybe it might have been time to switch things up. I don't know if you guys remember, it was probably closer to like five to ten years ago, where they started coming up with the male contraceptive, which is another thing to tie into the whole inequality of the responsibility where women are always the ones that are on birth control. There is no birth control for men, right? Outside of a condom. So they did this study. I'm going to see if I can pull it up and post it on howbitchesaremade.com, but they did this study of a male contraceptive pill. 
And basically, most of the men that had been taking it were reporting symptoms that are very in line with what an average woman feels during PMS. It was like headaches, irritability, lethargy, all of these things that women have been dealing with for years just by having a uterus. But these guys are feeling while they're on the pill. And mind you, I know a lot of people like myself, The other, another factor of me getting off the pill was that I did feel that they could potentially be giving me the migraines that I was experiencing eight out of seven days a week. That gives you an idea of how severe they were for me. So uh, I, I thought it was really funny when the study came out because it was only – it's, I'm, I don't know how long it actually was, but it seemed like it was m- merely a month. And they were like, oh, men are having headaches. Let's pull it off the shelves. It's unsafe. And I remember thinking, mm, that's interesting, but it's it's okay for women to be taking this because it, it alleviates the responsibility of a man. If a woman can be on birth control, we save money on condoms. We don't have to worry about her getting pregnant. And look, I'm not trying to make it like the man is the bad guy but sometimes they are and in these cases every time I went to the gynecologist I was just feeling like I was a tiny little woman battling Goliath just because of my body and there was it was so infuriating and so when you have these situations like okay we have two people they don't want to get pregnant we have condoms yes men can wear that that's great but again it goes back to the invasive thing why is the first thing we come up with a pill for women that fucks with their hormones and changes their body chemistry and their moods and this and that. And then when we try to do that for guys, it even starts to look like it could do that. We say, no, we're not going to do that anymore. But women, yeah, keep having it. It's fine. That didn't sit well with me. So when I had this birth control conversation with my gynecologist, all of that was kind of swirling around my head and all these other things. And that bothered me. And then the third big kind of life moment, if you will, realization was when it came to the whole conversation of fertility. At this point now, I had been with Kirk for a really long time and I was in my... If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, I was approaching my mid-30s, I think, or I was in my early 30s, whatever. I was at the point where, like, it was starting to be considered a geriatric pregnancy, which is hilarious. Kind of the slap in the face here was that it felt like as much as I wanted to be in control of my life, I couldn't be because of my anatomy. Do you want to have kids or don't you want to have kids? Well, I'm not ready to have them now. Well, you need to know if you want them in the future because if you want them in the future, there are precautions and steps you can take right now thanks to science. But if you don't want them in the future, then don't worry about it. How can somebody know what they want in the future? We're not there yet. And I can attest to the fact that I have changed dramatically multiple times in my life. Did I ever think I'd be living in Joshua Tree, California? No. I didn't even know what Joshua Tree was until a year before I moved here. Point being, I was a city girl who was an actress and I was a fucking L.A. lifer. And then in a matter of a week, I bought a house in Joshua Tree. So like, how am I going to know? And and by the way, best decision I ever made. So how can I make a decision for maybe one or two years from now when I don't even know the person I'm going to be then? That's a lot of people's argument when it comes to do you want to get married? Well, I don't know. How can I promise myself forever to somebody when that person might not be the same person I married in five years? Valid argument. That's a leap of faith. But hopefully... I don't want to go too much off on this tangent, but hopefully you know that person well enough at their core and their values to know that you will evolve together at the same time in similar ways enough to where you will always be compatible. But in this case, I I kind of felt like ganged up on. I felt ganged up on by both my gynecologist and Kirk because at the time, Kirk really wanted kids. He was a few years older than me and that doesn't matter. A guy can be whatever age they want to be to have kids, but it does for a girl. So he really wanted to have kids and I was not ready because we weren't married. And to me, 
that I knew I wanted more than children. I was very clear on that. And also like I come from a traditional family where my parents are still married and I very much wanted to be married before I even thought about having kids. Because to me, there was no point in having kids if I didn't feel I, personally for me, had a stable foundation with which to raise them from. And I didn't feel like I had a stable foundation with Kirk. Rightfully so, we ended up breaking up. But he was really putting the pressure on me and what he would do was tell me that I didn't want kids. Well, if you wanted kids, you would know. Mm, Maybe, but if I'm hesitant... That's a sign of me not knowing. I could have just said, yeah, no, I don't want kids. And he was like, well, you want to get married more. And I'm not sure if he saw it as me wanting to get married and then revealing that I didn't want to have kids. But for me, it was like that was putting the cart before the horse. And I would never do that, by the way. I would never get married and then reveal what my actual MO is. That's really fucked up. But I didn't know at the time. I, I'm the youngest. I never had anyone younger than me to really inspire me to want to have children. And I certainly was never around them in Los Angeles doing what I was doing. But so I already have my, my boyfriend at the time breathing down my neck telling me I need to make a decision because from his perspective, he didn't want to marry somebody that wasn't sure whether or not they wanted kids. That was very important to him and I totally understand that. So you have him not committing to me, which is what I wanted in the form of marriage because he wanted to make sure that I wanted to have kids and I needed to be married before I knew whether or not I wanted to have kids. So obviously we were at a stalemate there, but I did. I felt ganged up by him and then my gynecologist who is basically coming out at me from a science side saying, hey, you need to know where you stand because time is of the essence. Now we're up against this clock. And I would say to her, well, you know, I'm not really worried. And I I wasn't. I didn't know I had to be worried because my parents never put pressure on me to get married or have kids. My sister didn't have her first kid, I think, until 33, 34. My cousin, she was like 33, 34. My grandmother, who was the youngest of, I don't know, somewhere between eight and 10 children, her mom had her in 1926 at the age of 44. So in my head, genetically, I was like, I'll be fine. And I said this to my gynecologist, and she was like, You can't assume anything. But so I just, I felt really ganged up on and I felt all of a sudden this race against the clock and this pressure to make a decision and know what I wanted for a person that I wasn't yet. And I thought, God, this is unfair. Men don't ever have to do this. They don't have to contemplate it. And again, I'm not trying to make it us against them. I'm just really illustrating here the differences in the experiences of a man versus the experiences of a woman. It's no one's fault. It's just the consequence of having the anatomy that we do. And I think that's what was so frustrating for me because there was nothing I could do about it. This is not something that you can nurture your way out of. This is fucking nature. And she's a bitch. And not the good kind of bitch. But I think this is why, again... It's so important to be clear on who you are and what you really want fundamentally at the core and why it's important to have these periods of being alone like we talked about in the last story where you're silencing the noise around you to really understand who you are and what you want. So here's where I'm at now. Did I want kids? This is what I would always say to people. If I was on my deathbed, I would regret not going full force to pursue the career and dream that I wanted more than I would never having had kids. I still feel that way today, but with the partner that I'm with, I want to have kids more. It's literally what I said. In being in this great relationship and taking the next step and getting engaged and thinking about the wedding, I am now in a place where I can open my brain to understand or even entertain the idea of do I want kids. I want Kevin's kids. I want to give him kids. He really wants kids. But at the same time, he's not putting the pressure on me to have them. He is like, you know what? If we have them, great. If we don't, we got each other. And I think that that's the point I'm trying to really hammer home here is when you know who you are and then you attract the things in your life that are meant for you and are contoured and tailor-made for you, the avenues unfold and present themselves so if I if I can't have children in the future let's say I'm game for adopting my dad was adopted it would feel really really cool to do that because I wouldn't have a life if my dad wasn't put up for adoption you know 
What I mean by that is if he wasn't born. Well, actually, that's not even true. Because who's to say that his biological mom would have moved him to Oregon? I don't know. And he never would have met my mom and I wouldn't be here. So I guess for me, what I what I ultimately realized and what is stood to be true is, look, I, I wasn't, to Kirk's point, chomping at the bit to have children. And to my point, that didn't mean I didn't want them, but it didn't mean I needed to have them either. And that didn't work for Kirk. And that's fine. He wasn't my person, as obvious in many other ways. But again, we're talking about the value of being alone and why it's so important to be clear on who you are and what you want now, especially when you get into your 30s, because you will continue to evolve and change, but not as drastically, especially when it comes to life events like this. I think the other thing that made it a little bit easier for me at the time, and and it makes it easier for women, to my gynecologist's point, If you think you even might want kids, freeze your eggs. But here is where I was. I'm very much the person that's like, whatever's meant to happen for me will happen. I'm not going to try to force it. So I did contemplate freezing my eggs. But look, I'll be totally fucking honest with you. I didn't want to spend the money. I thought it was like $10,000 at the time. And I thought that's a lot of money for something I'm unsure of. Like, what if I never use them? What if I go to use them and it doesn't work? That to me, it just didn't seem, it didn't seem like an investment worth making for me. You might feel different. But I'd also been hearing stories, like in this case, my neighbor across the hall in Los Angeles, she was a nurse and she told me she did freeze her eggs and she spent the money. And then they thawed them out. And when you thaw them out, a lot of them don't make it. They're not viable. And then she ended up getting pregnant the old fashioned way. And she was 34. And I was like, okay, so like, I just think if I'm meant to have kids, I will. And if I'm not, then I won't. But I had, I took a tremendous issue with Mother Nature basically making me confront these life decisions when the timeline actually wasn't natural for me. It felt so ironic and unfair. And again, that's just not something guys have to deal with. So it was... It's kind of a big fat bummer. I don't have any words of encouragement or hope with regards to this sad fact or truth of life. But I I guess my message to people would kind of be like, it's never too early to start thinking about the person that you want to be and planning for goals that you might have. But also leaving room for how they might change and you might evolve. Explore your options. Get the information. Don't wait to get the information. Like I did, I guess, even though... I have no regrets about my timeline, but somebody in my same situation that wasn't me might feel like they did. Another thing that I want to speak to, which I think is kind of an ironic and unique experience in Los Angeles, is I moved to Los Angeles and believed that everyone would be like me that was in my field of profession. They would be, you know, career-driven individuals who thought about getting married and having kids last. That was on the back burner. The main goal was to be a working actor. And if you were lucky, hit it big. And that requires a fuck ton of sacrifice. And we'll get into that more in the next story. But what ended up happening for me was I met a lot of people that were aspiring actors or, you know, working actors to a point, and then they got married, gave up the career, and had babies. And that's fine, but I expected to have that experience more in my hometown than I did in a major city where everyone comes to do the same thing. But what was really cool about that unexpected reality was I got to witness the dynamics of being in a marriage and the dynamics of raising children with your partner. And for me, I learned best what not to do visually. So there were a lot of mental notes I took and the observations that I was making through my friends' experiences. And one of them was that what tends to happen is, you know, we fall into these old traditional roles. Men go to work, they're the breadwinners, and then women are doing the domestic duties. There's nothing wrong with that if that works for you. I happen to know these friends were not satisfied doing that. And so it was hard for me to watch because they'd be giving up their bodies to have babies, giving up their jobs, giving up their hobbies, living under house arrest, going through all these hormones. Some of them could afford to get nannies and get help and some of them couldn't. But the one thing they all had in common was the guys went to work, they came home, had playtime with their kids and went to bed. 
they didn't have to do much of the child rearing responsibilities. So a lot of um, my fear of having kids with somebody who I wasn't married to and didn't have a stable foundation with, I just didn't feel like he actually knew what went into raising a child and how badly he wanted one without that awareness was very scary for me. I was like, I do not want to sign up for that kind of a a trade-off where, okay, now we have this kid. I have no contractual ties to even get financial help if something goes south, so I'm not protected in that way. But also, what's going to happen? We can't afford to get a nanny. I'm going to have to give up my career because I know you're not going to give up your career to have this baby that really you wanted more than me. And now we're going to have that resentment in our relationship and our kids are going to pick up on that tension and I'm not going to enjoy like it's a domino effect. And to me, I was like, this is so scary to have a child under these circumstances logically but also just having witnessed what it did to my friends and the people they were married to and their relationship and the effect on their children watching it all from afar so there is a very big conversation that men and women need to have the reason I'm telling this story is because look Men can't know a female's experience and a female can't know a male's experience. But particularly when it comes to that of the body, having children, there needs to be as much conversation about it as possible to ensure that you're both on the same plane. You're both on the same understanding. A guy knows and can expect what you're going to be going through and knows what to do to counteract that to make it feel balanced and like a true partnership. So... Whether you're a girl listening to this or a guy listening to this, whether you're in a straight relationship or a gay relationship, whatever your roles and dynamics are, make sure that you're talking to the other person so that you get on the same page. There's a reason people, couples, get a dog before they have kids because you really do see things that you wouldn't see otherwise in a person. You see how they were raised and then how they intend to raise. You see how they deal with reward, punishment, um, confidence, the way they train. You just see all of that stuff. And a lot of times you might be surprised to find that, holy shit, I would never do that. Why are they doing that? And now suddenly you have a problem with the way they parent. That stuff you want to work out before you have the kid. As much as you can, because obviously having a kid will present things you're not prepared for, you didn't think about, obviously. But it is a good idea to have a dog or a pet of any kind, a shared responsibility that requires constant care so that you can observe how the other person does it. They can observe you and you can come up with your own dynamic together that sets you up more for success. Again, we're talking about creating that secure foundation. So when you do have a kid, you have a great shorthand about how they're going to deal with them. That's something that, you know, I've always had because of my relationship with Kirk on the forefront when looking for a life partner. Okay, well, if I'm going to have kids with them, I need to start observing how they treat, you know, kids in their family or kids that we run into on the street or, you know, it was good for me. I had a dog going into my relationship and, and I got to see how Kevin is with dogs and how he was with my nephew and not even just that, but literally stupid things like how he is with groceries. If I go grocery shopping and I come home and he's home, he's right, comes right outside and starts taking things out of, out of the trunk. Like he is very proactive and very participatory so there's no doubt in my mind he's going to be the same way when we have kids just through all these other things that I've already observed and how we deal with Finn our current dog that also made me want to have kids more again that's why I said it makes me want to have Kevin's kids I just there's less fear and worry going into it so really really important all these things that we talk about bleed into the next and I think what was really fortunate is that I'd already bought my house when Kirk and I were kind of fizzling out and I was getting distance and perspective and really realized that as much as he was telling me that I wasn't ready for kids, I ultimately realized that he was not the one that was ready for kids. And I want women to be aware of these situations that could be misconstrued as gaslighting They're not intended to make you feel the same as actual gaslighting is. 
But there are moments when if you're not clear on who you are and someone is telling you what you want, what you feel, who you are, you might start to believe it. Now, fortunately for me at this point, to reiterate, I had the luxury of having physical space and alone time to get clear enough on who I was and what I wanted to not let what Kirk was saying to me convince me of who I was and what I wanted otherwise. So some other quick things to note about this story. Um, I just noticed when I was writing it that vagina feels like a dirty word. Does anyone else feel that way? It feels like you can't even say it. It just feels like a very aggressive word and I'm not sure if it's the V or, or what, but it, it feels like whenever I hear a girl say vagina, it's like we kind of shrink ourselves. It's like we're apologizing for having a vagina and having to call it that or use that word. It's interesting, right? Because like penis sounds like so friendly and goofy and, and but vagina sounds like let's go to war. <laughs> and ironically enough, we bleed. I don't know. That was just something I noticed when I was writing it and I think I recall a commercial as of late too that kind of acknowledges that. I just think it, it is interesting. Why do we have such a hard time using that word? But the it's really interesting, our relationship to not just the word vagina, but the relationship we have to our vaginas themselves. There's an episode of Sex in the City that sticks out to me. It's when the one where Charlotte had vulvodynia and she was like afraid to look at herself and She's like, it smells or it's it's something. And the doctor and her friends were basically like, well, you know, it's because you're not giving it attention and love. And I, I don't know if that's like a real thing, but it makes sense that it could be. Like, here's the bottom line, right? I started the episode out by saying Betty White says like her quote, which everybody laughs at. It's like, why do you call someone a pussy for being weak when really vaginas are very, very strong and penises and balls are very, very weak? And I just wanted to really take this moment with this story to think about all the shit that girls have to put up with and deal with just by having a vagina and use that to be like, yeah, why are we ashamed of saying the word vagina and of having one and of having like queefs and all these like weird things that our body does because of it? It's a very powerful and strong organ, like all the female anatomy, like we bring life into the world. So we need to stop feeling bad about having a vagina and saying the word vagina and get more comfortable saying it and using it more unapologetically. It's weird because I'm not a person that likes that word at all. And I just said it like 17 times <laughs> and I didn't feel weird saying it. So that's kind of cool. But I do think we need to consider more how we think and feel about it and what we worry about with regard to it and the effects of ignoring it and feeling shameful about it. And anytime we do, just remind ourselves like how much shit we fucking put up with. We deserve a goddamn reward not to feel embarrassed. Why would we feel embarrassed for being strong? When you think about it, that sounds so stupid. So my relationship with my gynecologist now, she's really very cool. Um, I'd actually recently kind of made light about like how I was worried about what my hair situation was down there when I went to my checkup and she was really cool and she was like oh you know you could dye it purple and I wouldn't care I've seen it all she's super down to earth and cool which is what ultimately and she has been but what I ultimately realized was all of these neurotic thoughts and like narrative I had in my head was just that it was in my head because even when I finally told her that I was engaged she was like happy for me but like it was a little underwhelming I thought considering how much we talked about rings and getting married and being with the same partner she would have been like overjoyed but the truth is you know, I was just a patient to her and she didn't really care about my lifestyle. She just cared about my health. And the reason I think it got to me so much when I was younger was because it was really more commentary on how I felt about the choices I was making. And I was projecting my own insecurities and judgments about myself onto her and seeing them through her, which just wasn't the case. So to wrap up this episode officially, here is my message to women that are 30 plus. Be proud of your vagina. Take care of your health. Don't be ashamed to talk about what's going on. Don't be ashamed about how many people you've been with. Think about the choices that you want for your future and make the decisions that are right for you. And again, all of this will be a lot easier if you are clear on who you are. 
my message to young 20-somethings is be safe. Make sure that you're being treated equally. You're in partnerships and relationships where you feel like an equal, where you can be proud of being a woman, not ashamed. Be responsible. Yes, it sucks, but don't assume that guys are going to be responsible because at the end of the day, we what we always say You're responsible for you. And yes, we have more of the responsibility when it comes to sexual engagement. But, you know, just because that's unfair doesn't mean we should neglect things. Don't be ashamed of how many people you've slept with or haven't slept with. And don't be ashamed also of your vagina and having one and owning the power that comes with having one. Um, I think the younger generations nowadays are... Getting that message in a multitude of ways much younger than people my age and older did. So hopefully that's a a lot easier for you to heed. But um, I just think it's really important that we treat ourselves well and really understand what it means to be a woman, even with the complications that come with it. And take that responsibility to heart in a way that makes us feel more empowered and less ashamed. Basically, don't let the inequality get you down. Find a way to see the inequality as a valuable learning experience and a valuable way to make ourselves stronger and better because at the end of the day, that's all we can really do. Oh, there is one more thing I wanted to share that could be helpful for young women in their 20s and maybe some late bloomer 30-year-olds. This is how you give a proper urine sample. So you go into the room and you take an alcohol wipe and you wipe your vagina with the alcohol wipe. Then you start peeing, then you put the cup under your pee Fill it to about halfway, remove it, whether you're done or not, maybe you don't have to remove it midstream, maybe you just stopped, and then um, screw the lid on, and then take another alcohol wipe and wipe the outside of it, place it on the sink, wash your hands, and then bring it into the cupboard after you write your name on it, of course, and close the cupboard door. That is how you give a proper urine sample. The first time I gave one, not by myself, but the first time I gave one, the very first time I went to the gynecologist was with my mom and she was manning the cup for me trying to catch my stream of pee. Am I the only one whose pee like goes rogue? It's like a flag blowing in the wind. The labia and the pee stream is just everywhere. It's just so messy. I hope I'm not the only one because that would make this entire episode extremely embarrassing. But uh, there you go. So now you don't have to ask people how to give a urine sample but hopefully you're a little more evolved than I was. Okay, that's it for this episode. Next week is finally the story that I keep teasing about. It's the episode when I met Kevin. It's a two-parter, so you'll get that for the next two weeks. I'm really excited to share it with you guys. Okay, remember to like, subscribe, rate, and review. Share with your friends. Email us your questions, comments, feedback at info at howbitchesaremade.com and follow me on Instagram at TheRachelMelvin. I'd like to thank my following guests who helped us with our reenactments for this episode. Big thanks to Martha Madison who played the role of Dr. Sarah Solomon. (laughs) Kelly Jekyll. I just finally asked her, I was like, hey, how do you pronounce your last name? Turns out not the way I've been pronouncing it. Laura Steigers and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the man who does our advisory. Steve Tom. We'll be back next week with another new story as I already stated. Until then, remember, consistency is key. Stay bitchy, my friends. How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin.